The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Monday Gamer episode coming up. Got to talk about a couple of fun finishes, Orlando and Sacramento, Indy and Philly. Talk a little bit about uh, getting one into overtime, the Pelicans and the Pistons. That'll be last, don't worry, because there are a lot of people out in that game. But let's start uh, with some news here. We haven't started with news in a while. And where I want to begin, Danny, is with the news is about a week ago, actually, we haven't talked about it yet, that it sounds like of the three things that the NBA was hoping to implement in its schedule, which are the play-in tournament, the mid-season tournament, and the reseeding at once you get to the conference finals to ensure a better finals matchup, I thought the last of those was actually the biggest no-brainer and the most likely to get implemented. Looks like that's going to be dead. Yeah, it, it's really disappointing to me. I mean, there was a time that I was an absolutist on some of the more radical reforms like top 16 and choosing your opponent and all that type of stuff. And I, I, Kevin Pelton wrote a good piece on it back when it was closer to when it was, you know, more more prevalent in the conversation. And I think the argument that was there and that, that I now personally believe in is it's not a perfect solution, but it, it checks a lot of the boxes in terms of, for me, it... it it makes the finals potentially more desirable and that's the biggest spotlight that the league has is the NBA finals and so having the two best of those four teams I think is positive and that the logistical problems that make top 16 especially difficult those don't apply once you get to the conference finals because there are no overlapping games so I think that it is you know it's not it's a Pareto optimal to use an econ to use an econ term where it doesn't really other than you could say the the team that would have otherwise benefited from the current structure in in that given year oh, for the league and which is the way they should think about this it's beneficial overall and yet that's not what's going to happen supposedly this is couched with concerns of oh they're going to have to fly too far i think there's something like 30 percent of the series in the past would have been east coast to west coast i mean but that's the finals too well in th- the western conference has a lot of long flights it's just the eastern conference that doesn't run. like i mean you can have a new orleans portland series we saw that in the first round you could see that in a conference final yeah so and they could work in another couple of days rest there too just so you don't have uh, the quick turnaround of a one day flight cross country and then you got to play the next day i mean i think that uh, i do agree that would be a concern for me but it's also something that could be alleviated but it does seem like it's just oh you're just scared that you might be in the position of not making it to the finals even though you had the best rest record in the eastern conference because you might have to go up against the number two seed in the west that had a better record now also worth noting that it's not necessarily the case that the team with the best record is actually the best playoff team and that's probably more true than it's ever been before so i don't know is is this the end of the world that this isn't going to be in there i'm i'm a little disappointed but not too disappointed it's frustrating just because it seems so sensible and when sensible things can't get through it just makes it so much less likely that less sensible things will make it through you know you know you know i feel and i'm not a big fan of the in-season tournament i'm not 
a big fan of the play-in tournament for a couple yeah. different reasons. So, it, it's just such a bummer when the finals like really sucks. Right, and so I'm actually writing a piece. I don't know if it's going to get published. I'm writing an, ad- an advocacy piece for this proposal, which looks like it's dying for the athletic. And a, a part of it, which I'll lay out here, is think about how fortunate the NBA has gotten that LeBron James spent all that time in the Eastern Conference. Because if, if that hadn't been the case, we would have been dealing with way worse NBA finals over the last eight years or so, let's say. And that papered over a lot of these other flaws. And the league needs to, you know, you can't think that LeBron James, especially because he's actually not in the Eastern Conference anymore, that it's going to work out the way that it has. Because there's no there's no reason that it would. Yeah, and it does seem like it's going to be a little closer to even this year. It looks like the best team is in the East. Looks like that second tier of teams, you know, hopefully can compete with some of the teams in the second tier of the West. So it's not always going to be like that. But I mean, of the last probably 20 years, you know, since Jordan retired, the one of the conference finals being the real finals. I mean, that probably happened in seven or eight years. And the finals was really just a total anti-climax. I'd like to avoid that. I mean, 2018 especially is just a total bummer. Um, What else we got here news-wise? Well, we have some returns and returns are always fun. Uh, Kyrie Irving came back on Sunday. The Nets beat the Trey Youngless Atlanta Hawks 108-86. Kyrie, 10 of 11 from the field, almost all from two. And he was plus 22 in that comfortable win. And then... Yeah, it's going to be a lot of comfortable wins against the Hawks, it looks like, for a little bit here. Yeah, that's very true. And then in Toronto, both Pascal Siakam and Norm Powell returned, but they lost that game to the San Antonio Spurs, which was a big win. We talked a little bit about that on the 15 and 60, but noting their returns is still... DeMar DeRozan's dunk on Chris Boucher will feature prominently in our next awards. Oh, yes. I oh, would yes, it will. imagine. Uh, also, Marcus Gasol was unable to play over the weekend but looks like he's relatively close recall they still have fred van vliet out with the hamstring as well could be a little more time for him it seems like uh back to the top of the alphabet here trey young missed that game with the hamstring issue he's questionable for tuesday you would have to imagine they would uh, hold him out and then bruno fernando has been away from the team after the death uh, of his mother and alex len isn't going to play against the suns at home on tuesday with low back pain so they really uh, are, again are just a have not been able to get fully healthy and obviously they're uh, not the strongest team even when they are for boston daniel tice missed the game against the bulls with right knee soreness no word on how long that's going to take but ennis Cantor started uh, boston handled the bulls pretty easily in that one and that's in part because wendell carter we got a timeline for him now high ankle sprain is the diagnosis four to six weeks for him so it's going to be at least through the all-star break you would imagine and the bulls defense now we've talked about how they're forcing so many turnovers how they are forcing turnovers at a level that has not been seen over a full season almost 18 percent turnovers they've forced and that number was always going to come down because the only one other team has been over 17 percent in the last five years that was the grizzlies in 15 16 so that was always going to come down and now without carter to be the guy out on the floor trapping in that aggressive bulls pick and roll coverage uh luke cornett slight downgrade in that scheme it, it looks like so yeah, i think we, the bulls we saw, we saw yeah. that in the game against the celtics and when when teams know what's coming and you don't have the personnel to stop them anyway then it, it it can look ugly really really quickly and this is i mean it's so weird because the bottom of the east is not strong though it is stronger now with Kyrie returning hopefully for a long time that the bulls are 14 and 27 the nets are eight 
18 and 20. And I think with Carter Jr.'s injury, I you know, they're not out, out, but I would be very surprised if they made the playoffs. Yeah, I seriously was considering them for uh, my competition with Hollinger of ruling teams out for the playoffs, but went with Detroit instead. Uh, and in Detroit, Luke Kennard is going to be out until probably the all-star break, uh, according to uh, Dwayne Casey. And in Cleveland, Dylan Windler it really seemed like it was trending in the wrong direction we had some fears here when there was talk of a setback he had tried to play three on three again recently still experienced soreness with that stress reaction in his lower leg and so he now is going to miss the rest of the season he's going to have surgery according to cleveland.com so a lost rookie year for him i i did one good piece of news for cleveland is darius garland is playing a little bit better i, I thought he had some nice drives against the Lakers today where you you recall he would get in the lane and just be totally powerless he's showing a little bit more burst getting by guys doing some of those Nash one-handed layups so he's played a little bit better of late that's one bright note in Cleveland so far what else we got here Dallas and Denver are both miss continuing to miss significant big men Kristaps Porzingis probably not going to play in the next two games uh, it seems like the right knee is doing better but he's also sick and so he's he's almost definitely missing Tuesday's game against the Warriors but also so sounds like he's going to miss Wednesday against the Kings. Yeah, I'll have to ask Rick Carlisle about that tomorrow. Yeah, maybe maybe he'll answer. Uh, and uh, Paul Millsap has missed the last three games with a bruised left knee, though it is worth noting that they comfortably beat the Clippers without Millsap in, in one of the more impressive wins so far this season. For Golden State, uh, Kai Bowman now is back in the G League for the foreseeable future, having used up the rest of his service time. They won't likely be able to sign another player until March. That's the earliest they could convert him with their present hard cap situation damian lee is not going to play on tuesday he's used up all of his two-way service time as well and supposedly something could happen as early as wednesday there but he's missed a couple of games now well I mean, there's a reason ma- yeah. there's a reason why wednesday okay and that is because we're going to see a series of moves we already saw some of them with the knicks we'll talk about in a minute because that's the last day you can sign two-way players for this year and so i think what the warriors are going to do is they're going to convert damian lee and then open up his two-way spot and use that two ways oh the the idea being well so i don't get it though like why why wouldn't you just i mean obviously there's reason under the hard cat too i thought that's what it was about but it's about that too uh, but then but because then you can get extra days under you you get that you get another two-way guy who can be playing while kai bowman is sitting to, before he can be converted unless they trade burks or oh yeah but i mean I, what i'm saying is like what difference does it make whether they open up the two-way spot today or wednesday oh no it, that the, the oh today or wednesday no that's about the hard cap it's just that it's yeah. going to be okay. on wednesday as opposed to being later than wednesday because of the day spot sorry ah i see yeah the, uh, so that's kind of if they wanted to get another two-way guy in that makes sense okay that was uh so if we don't understand each other we should probably talk it out because uh we're we're the ones who are supposed to be the experts on this stuff so if we don't understand then our listeners probably aren't going to either uh okay so now we'll see with lee presumably they have something worked out but there are some variables i mean they could give him a four-year contract they could also because they have the full mid-level exception if they could just move say alec burks or willie collie steiner someone to open up more room under the hard cap they could even give him a larger starting salary than the minimum this year which could then enable him to have a larger salary in year 
years going forward also that would build on top of that i mean they can give them up to the four-year deal because they have that part of that mid-level exception remaining so and and it seems like you'd have a little bit of leverage he's played pretty well you don't want to just get locked into like the hinky special or something so i do think there's a matter of some negotiation probably it's going to get worked out but you know i wouldn't just like take whatever offer the warriors gave me if i were his agent it wouldn't surprise me in the least if those negotiations have already happened because we've known the general contours of this for a long time yeah um for also for the warriors interesting amari spellman is starting at center now over willie collie stein uh but and no sign at all of kavan looney still i mean it's been now a few weeks since they kind of shut him down again to try to get him back into shape maybe if they move on they've moved chris now so he might be able to get some more time at the center position where he's more comfortable but you know i still i still have a lot of concerns about looney and it's just been a weird situation for him what else we got here something worth putting a pin in uh the orlando magic applied for disabled player exceptions for both jonathan isaac and al Aminu. that is not a definitive pronouncement that either or both of those players are out for the remainder of the season that is what is basically required in order for yeah. the exception uh, do we know if those got granted yet i don't think we no we don't yet. know yet and that would be a caliber if they do get granted then that means more the league thinks more likely than not that they will be out that would be very disappointing considering isaac has has shown growth this year aminu has been when healthy had been a part of the rotation but it's the fact that the magic applied and applying doesn't rule anybody out for anything you can they could just be doing that to get a little bit more flexibility and but it is it is notable i, I would say to an extent that they did for the lakers rob palinka has been ex- extended it is termed a multi-year extension and that is off of the five years that he had when he joined in 2017 so it's a minimum he if you want to say he had two years left on that now and you're giving him a multi-year extension so that means it's at least four more years uh, of plinka maybe even more than that did he deserve this i mean he did a really good job of convincing lebron james to come to the place he already wanted to go to but yeah i mean i would say he it's this weird thing in terms of plinka and magic you know and now it just being plinka they did obviously a much better job building around LeBron this year not even just getting Anthony Davis but also Danny Green worked out well and they they made better moves on the margins to me but they got leveraged a lot in the Anthony Davis stuff I mean they gave up a whole lot and it's true that the Clippers later gave up a similar amount for Paul George and and Davis is a better player than George and also younger and all that but I mean my instinct is is no um and when you think about some of the general managers that are doing a good job in a much harder circumstance i and the lakers conceptually they could hire anybody they wanted i mean they have the money they have star power it's it's a very desirable job and i do not think palenka is one of the five to ten best general managers in the league so no yeah and i'd like to see what happened here i mean i think he he painted himself into a corner in terms of lack of flexibility with some of these contracts that he signed this offseason for guys who can't be traded like javel and rondo and kcp where if you get a second year on those contracts or even a non-guaranteed second year you'd be able to move them or a partially guaranteed second year and they would be in a lot better position to potentially trade guys so yeah you got lebron you got ad well guess what you're a lot better now the vogel hiring i think you know that was supposedly such a shit show but i think vogel is doing a really nice job so it's hard to say that that went poorly and he was drafted kuzma and supposedly he's loyal to Jeannie. So I'm sure for Jeannie Buss, this was an absolute no-brainer to do this and also promote him to, I think it was executive vice president. But for me, I especially considering just the overall Lakers culture and some of the negative stories out of there, it's not a no-brainer. But you know, the, the fact is they're doing well. And it's hard to, uh, I'm sure that 
if they win the championship this year he will uh, and everyone in lakerland will be like see like no one ever should have criticized this guy and that you know it doesn't work that way it works like you, you have the fact that two a bunch of number two picks on your roster and you have all your draft picks going forward and then you got lottery luck to get number four last year they probably don't get ad if they don't do that if they don't get lucky there so and they are in la and lebron and ad really wanted to come there so they're working with a lot of advantages it's an important context um also lakers news supposedly they're willing to trade anyone besides ad and lebron i should have noted where exactly that came from but that's surprising i do think they really need danny green as well i mean unless there's like a true awesome difference maker that we don't see as being available right now you certainly wouldn't want to move danny green for such a player i think he's better than anyone they might realistically get maybe i'm just not seeing who that is um but he is also their big matching salary rajon rondo missed tonight's game against the Cavs with a non displaced volar plate avulsion fracture of his fourth finger on his right hand those avulsion fractures are just remember when the ligament pulls away a little piece of the bone from there and rondo just has so many hand and wrist injuries so it's really odd but this doesn't seem like it'll keep him out too long it seems like more of a week or two type of thing and ad was questionable didn't end up playing they didn't need him against the Cavs. it was a huge blowout with that glute contusion but seems like he'll be back as soon as their next game paul george will not play on tuesday in the clippers game against the Cavs, and he might return wednesday when they host the magic he's been dealing with his hamstring issue and so he will miss at least three straight games we don't know about the fourth in miami eric spolstra said that justice winslow who's been dealing with this lower back issue he will miss their games over the weekend but also now we got the reporting from ira winderman that winslow has returned to miami and will see a specialist next week that is definitely Definitely concerning. Yeah, it is because he tried to ramp up. He went with the team. That Spolster quote was actually from before the weekend that he was going to try and play against the Nets and the Knicks. And it seemed like he was ramping up his activity. He might even play. And now that he's returning to see the specialist, yeah, that's uh, that's a problem. New Orleans, a lot of walking wounded there. We'll talk about their game against Detroit briefly. Derek Favors out with that strained hamstring. We talked about that yesterday. JJ Redick also missed against Detroit with the, a hamstring issue. Brandon Ingram with the sore knee. But the big news is that it seems like it's trending towards Zion debuting on Thursday at home against the Jets. That would be exciting. It would be. And the Pelicans play back-to-back national TV games after that. They play, I believe it's the Clippers on Saturday, and then they play on, I think that's against Memphis, Ja versus Zion on Martin Luther King Day, both of which oh, are Oh, baby. On That'll TV. be a fun one. Absolutely. Maybe, we'll, maybe we should cast a little of that. If that we we uh, might end up doing that, depending on how the yeah. schedule works out. Because we, uh, we are casting that day, right? What, what yes. game are we casting that uh, day? Lakers-Celtic. Oh, baby. Yeah, that'll be fun yeah uh the Knicks, mlk wonderful yeah. basketball day oh yeah no I, very underrated i like how the games are all spaced out during the day too um ivan rab has been weighed from a two-way spot i only mentioned i don't new, usually talk about two ways but uh this is a guy that, who's flashed for me a little bit kenny wooten just uh, his athleticism is really really impressive so uh, there's supposedly interest from other teams they nick signed him to a two-way for portland check in on some of their injuries zach collins on track to return in march from that shoulder surgery and he could give them a big boost you know for a big interior bruiser type of guy shot blocker rebounder you don't expect him to be back to his best level but even just getting like competent backup center minutes out of him could be helpful and if yusuf nurkic can be back around the same time that'd be helpful scal labissier he's gonna miss 
at least four weeks to be reevaluated them with left knee articular cartilage lesion and mario zonia doesn't really matter that much but he's been in and out of the lineup with a lower back issue didn't play in their three-point victory over the hornets i can even fight you on that um in sacramento marvin bagley returned he he played significant minutes in their close loss to the orlando magic we'll talk about the game a little bit but rashawn holmes is dealing with a shoulder issue suffered in their game against the warriors and he's going to miss two to three weeks and they're still with without Bogdan Bogdanovich, who is dealing with a right ankle issue. And we don't know a timeline yet, but it doesn't seem like it's going to be. Yeah, he's not practicing yet. Washington, Fred Katz tweeted this out of John Wall playing a little four on four. So good to see that he is at least kind of making his way back there. And if it were a different situation, you would think that he probably could play this year. I mean, we're coming up on about the year anniversary of when he suffered that Achilles tear following the surgery that he had on his heel. Garrison Matthews, who had been a nice story, had a 25-point game, and then all of a sudden sprained his ankle pretty badly. He's going to miss several weeks. A lot of ankle sprains for the Wizards. Mo Wagner has been out with an ankle sprain as well. And uh, finally, I neglected to mention this, but I found out yesterday that George Nyang, who's uh, playing well in the Utah rotation, a Utah team that has won 14 of 15, uh, his self-bestowed nickname is The Minivan, which I thought is just absolutely excellent. Like I want to even use Minivan to describe kind of that player type of just you know slow not that cut can't really jump but yet does the job better than flashier suvs might gets better gas mileage has more room you got the sliding door to put to put the kids in it's more practical you you end up really needing it in the end not the most athletic vehicle but i love i think it's a, a perfect description and uh I, he apparently I, mean, I don't think he d- meant to give himself that nickname but he said in an interview last year that after a uh, a barely dunk that donovan mitchell is a ferrari and he's more of a minivan and apparently it's stuck uh, among his teammates so uh the minivan it is uh, for george yang but uh i think that's something that even could be extended to all of those kind of hey you know a little less athletic guys who still managed to get the job done in the end all right let's get our job done here what game you want to talk about first oh let's start with sixers pacers this was the one that i had circled beforehand because malcolm brogdon made his return and it ended up being a kind of a weird game for a couple different reasons primarily because the 76ers we we did the nba cast for that game against the celtics where joel and b didn't play but they made every jump shot in the world and so they looked like world beaters well for most of the game other than richardson at the very end they couldn't hit a jump shot to save their lives they were six of 33 on three pointers and no sixer made more than one which was pretty striking and some of that you know i I thought the pacers did have some nice defensive possessions but some of it was just missing a bunch of shots but for me interestingly even though it was an losing effort my big takeaway other than brogdon looking better physically than i expected for a guy coming off a back issue was the first half that ben simmons played was fantastic yeah and now part of that was pretty miserable defense by the pacers but with al horford out in the perimeter miles turner really was struggling to get over and help he had multiple plays where he just went right down the lane for a pretty much uncontested layup or dunk i also thought that he did a really nice job actually making some moves off the dribble the pacers were kind of pressuring up on him a little bit and he was able to blow by some of these smaller defenders he threw a bunch of beautiful passes but the sixers couldn't hit a three to save their lives they finished six out of 33 from downtown in this game so his assist totals weren't necessarily 
necessarily that high but I, I just it was as dynamic as i'd seen him be with the ball in his hands and eight of nine at the rim he was able to attack going to his left hand for some floaters and nice finishes you remember when he was a rookie that was part of the thought of like oh he's not even left-handed because he couldn't really go left and finish left and he actually had some nice intricate finishes there so uh, and then defensively he made some unbelievable rotations there was one play where miles turner was trying to dump it in to sabonis on a high low simmons is guarding a shooter in the corner gets all the way over there to take away the high low then turner turns around and throws it to the shooter in the corner and simmons just materializes there and runs him off the line it was just really awesome work but uh, unfortunately he couldn't sustain it in the second half in part due to a little bit more cogent pacers defense yeah for sure and we also saw a lot of the Holiday brothers both came off the bench. Aaron Holiday was an was an important part of the the run that that the, ended up giving the Pacers the the lead and the win. And I thought having you know Jeremy Lamb started but only played twenty three minutes. And I don't think he's the to me he wasn't like the huge culprit of oh negative eleven in twenty three minutes. But having another ball handler on the floor, especially given Philadelphia's size, I thought that was really useful. And remember that's part of the theory of this team is that they will have another ball handler next to Malcolm Brogdon. It's just that Victor Oladipo is not ready for another week. So I thought that that worked out. Justin Holiday, four of six from three, 14 points in 28 minutes. I thought that that he had some some nice moments. And it, you know, so for the Pacers, it's a good win for them. It's uh, of course you knock off a capable team even if without Joel Embiid. And you know, I think Nate McMillan's still trying to figure out this rotation. We saw T.J. McConnell play 14 minutes against his former team, and I, I didn't think he he didn't move the needle that much for me. But I think I like that McMillan's still trying to figure all this out. Yeah, he had a nice run in their comeback where he hit an impossible fadeaway on the baseline and then went and got a steal in transition and tripped as he was going in in transition but tapped a a nice pass over to Justin Holiday for a dunk that got the crowd fired up it was funny too he was mic'd up and he had one play where he just double dribbled because he was dribbling a lot and he kept saying I'm sorry I'm over dribbling they had like a clip of him saying to like five different people sorry was I over dribbling sorry for over dribbling and I thought like yeah okay maybe but that's kind of what he has to do because he can't do anything off the ball right that's his game is he just kind of dribbles around tries to find a pass tries to get the defense to commit maybe goes for a mid-ranger and I, I thought it was funny when he had a really nice stretch they had Haul Neto and Neto and uh, Norval Pell trying to guard the pick and roll and I was like they got Josh Richardson on the floor they put him on holiday I'm like they're not going to run pick and roll with holiday they're going to run it with McConnell because if you put McConnell off the ball his guy can just help so they probably to me should have put Josh Richardson on McConnell and that again was a key stretch right at the start of the fourth as the the Pacers went on a 9-0 run and in the third and then actually ended up taking an 83 to 80 lead before it was really back and forth down the stretch. And what has been a somewhat common refrain, we talked about this in yesterday's 15 and 60 about Michael Porter Jr. Matisse Thibel has had a lot of good games this season, and he's, he's shown some impressive impressive moments. But this, especially, there was one brutal stretch where this was not his best performance. And so a lot of times we, we like to focus on the positive because the positive is, is great, and it's exciting for young players, and Thibel's defensive chops are, are fascinating. But he had some just massive mistakes on both ends of the ball in rapid succession. Yeah, you know, I thought he had some moments early. He was one of the only guys his three ball looked good he had another like pretty difficult three that he hit where his feet weren't even set in the corner he just jacked it up and it looked really good but yeah I mean this it was really a low light reel for him down the end where 
first he got beaten as and you think as a as a guy who played zone at washington he'd be better here the five second count is about to run out run out on a baseline out of bounds where they played a two three zone and miles kerner just cuts right in front of him and gets in it and gets fouled right as the shot clock was about to expire he just you know there's no reason for him to let turner cut in front of him that late in the out of bounds count then he had a couple of pretty bad record scratches where he didn't want to shoot the ball just drove into traffic and either missed passes uh, or turned it over then he missed a wide open corner three that could have given them the lead and then he gave up another wide open corner three for the pacers when he was over helping in a situation that didn't need his help now i kind of trust his instincts there because he does materialize out of nowhere and gets a lot of steals but that time he got burned was lucky just that the pacers missed a, that wide open three so it was a tough well, end and there's for him. one more too yeah At, uh, the pacers were the pacers were up and had the ball and it, was, it looked like the six oh yeah at the very saying, end that was awful at the very end they were saying not to foul and not only did Thibault choose to foul against their wishes he fouled Malcolm Brogdon he's one of the best free throw shooters in the whole damn league and Brogdon drills both of them the game is basically over yeah they were up they're only down two but there was a five second differential they had a timeout left so that's definitely a no foul situation and that then they never had a, a chance to tie after that the I thought the matchups were really interesting and obviously much will change if Joel Embiid comes back when things started out it was Mike Scott rather than Thibault with and they were guarding Mike Scott with a perimeter guy and that actually left Sabonis trying to guard Tobias Harrison I thought that was a matchup that the Sixers might really be able to exploit when they had Thibault in there then they 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 closed it with the two bigs the Pacers did so then they put Sabonis on Thibault and Thibault as mentioned you know really struggled down the end but it seemed like Mike Scott they respected his jump shot a lot more and felt like they had to put a perimeter player on him instead of Harris which was odd maybe that that wouldn't have done that down the end but those those matchups were interesting to me with these two teams yeah they definitely were uh anything else from this game i talked about do you think brogdon was moving pretty well i i I see i was impressed you know he started off and he had one just layup that he just completely airmailed over the basket and uh had another jumper that only hit the glass but he looked like he was able to get into it loosen up a little bit supposedly he was ready to go a couple of games ago and then an illness felled him for the next couple of games but i I did think down the end he had a couple of big threes as the sixers uh, went to a less aggressive pick and roll covers that was another interesting aspect of this game was you'll remember at the start of that celtics game that we talked about last week al horford is laying back kemba walker gets a bunch of threes they changed the pick and roll coverage to put horford further out on the floor force walker to drive and horford did a great job there and he said that that was his preferred pick and roll coverage they again had horford laying back and overall it worked pretty well they but brogdon did have a couple of jumpers off the dribble at the end of the game uh and after that they actually did change it on the fly without even a timeout where they had horford up to touch and it looked a little bit better after that but i mean you can't criticize the overall strategy because it's not you know philly didn't lose this game on defense anything else in this one or you'll move on uh you keep saying that let me see if i got anything else here in my notes uh i mentioned netto trey burke had been getting the backup point guard minutes brett braun went to netto in the second half i, I didn't think the results were amazing he did hit a, a nice open three though uh norville pell really struggled in this game match up with sabonis's strength and i mentioned his pick and roll problems as well i think braun had to go back to al horford a little earlier than he would have liked to 
Kyle O'Quinn uh, is so far down Brett Brown's bench that you can't even see him at, at this point, apparently. And finally, uh, this ended up not mattering, but the worst goaltend call that I ever have seen in the NBA was made on a drive by Josh Richardson that Miles Turner just spiked off the glass, like well before it hit the glass. And Nate McMillan challenged successfully, but he had to give up a timeout and, and he lost his challenge. And, and then, of course, the Sixers win the jump ball at half court and immediately Simmons throws a brilliant pass all the way down to Horford uh, under the rim for a dunk. So the, the challenge didn't end up working in the end. Um, yeah, let's uh, let's move on here in just a sec. All right, what do you want to talk about next here? Oh, let's go to Magic Kings. And this was a ended up being a pretty exciting game. Orlando had a, a, what, what kind of looked at them to me to be a somewhat comfortable lead at halftime but then sacramento roared back with a 33 21 third quarter and then it really came down to the wire buddy heel or sorry De'Aaron fox had a huge and one and then the the i mean the last play we, we, i don't think we're going to do possession by possession with this one i mean their fournier is isolating choosing not to get a screen on fox and he's driving and it looks you know that one track mind hero ball type thing and he's going to take this this bike running awkward floater and as fournier is in the air i don't think he decided it until he didn't have a good shot he passes the ball to aaron gordon who kind of saves his bacon with a nice an, a really nice touch layup to or to, like kind of in in the paint shot to give the magic the win yeah trevor Ariza was guarding gordon and i think he just lost track of him a little bit thought he was going to go help thought there wasn't enough time to get it to gordon whatever it was but uh, gordon was able to get wide open underneath nemanja bielica uh who had his name pronounced approximately 57 different ways by jerry reynolds which i uh, enjoyed good, good to have jerry back uh, on the broadcast every once in a while for the kings but he was ridiculous with a career high 34 points 8 of 10 from 3 13 of 16 overall also was tasked with guarding nikola vucevic where they started kem birch as well and had either harry giles who got the keith bogans in this game or Marvin Bagley, who has mentioned it, was back uh, guarding the other center, Birch, uh, rather than Vucevic. And Vucevic did have a, a pretty big game early on, but then struggled a little bit late. But Bielica was awesome, and Kings were down 111-104 after a 48 layup with a buck 17 left in the game. And Luke Walton went to, he did this a little bit earlier, but he went to Bielica at center and Harrison Barnes at the four. And of course, the Magic were going to keep Vucevic out there, but that's really what opened everything up for all of these fox plays bielitsa also hit another crazy three uh, on an out of bounds play but these last two fox buckets including the one that gave him the lead were pick and pop plays with bielitsa where either two guys were running to bielitsa it, it was good to see fox who also had a massive game with over 30 points taking advantage of some of the spacing uh what did you think of bagley and his return uh there were there were definitely things to things to like he had he was a little bit a little bit more physical i would say on some of his finishes which was was good and he had a couple of of blocks one of which was a, a nice one in more of a help capacity i still think he's i, I like him kind of better d- defensively where he can do that reaction but i think there's a lot less value when he's you know when you're playing him for for offensive um but physically seemed seemed fine and 
I was I was okay with it, and I mean, I thought he played, to me, he played way better than Harry Giles, and that's why Bagley played more minutes than him. And yeah, I, I thought I thought he was fine, but it didn't it didn't like fundamentally transform the way I thought about. It. Yeah, I mean, you do think, hmm, you know, he might struggle to guard a guy like Vucevic, or you know, there's plenty of better post up centers than him. You know, that's not every team, but right. you're gonna really have to send help if he's gonna be the center. And he played uh, exclusively at center tonight. Definitely a little thirsty. You know, eight out of 17, 18 points in 23 minutes, and. I mean, a lot of times they bring the ball up either the left or the right wing. He's the trailer and he's just kind of standing there at the top of the key waiting for someone to throw in the ball so he can either shoot the three or like attack off the dribble and you know buddy healed or deer and fox are just kind of waiting for him to like come over and set a screen and he, you there would always be sort of like this pause where it's like all right i guess i'll go over and set the screen and so yeah it is his first game back from injury i thought he had some nice moments running the floor hard we saw a little bit at least of that old king's transition game but this is one that the kings if they're gonna be in the playoff race really needed to have I and mean, they've played 20 home games and they're eight and 12 at home and that's just like this is supposed to be a good home team young team that feeds off the crowd's energy and you know orlando is kind of in theory the same quality of team as them i think they're probably better ultimately especially when you consider some of the guys that are out now for orlando but uh yeah this is the type of game you have to win and orlando really had a comfortable lead most of the night sacramento uh, required a late blitz to get into it and they also uh, required uh, that crazy shooting night uh from bielitsa and they shot a lot better from three and still lost well yeah not only that i mean bielitsa had a career high De'Aaron fox tied his with 31 and they still lost and part of it is think about some of the crazy advantages that the magic had in this game offensive rebounding 12 to 5 in favor of the magic the magic took 30 free throws and the kings took 11 yeah you give up 30 free throws to the magic uh you're probably hacking pretty good because they're uh they're not a high free throw attempt team no they're they're really not and and remember this is also the magic without a couple of their their players so then it makes it makes it even harder and and something i thought was was memorable about this game and it happens actually sometimes with these less consistent half-court offenses is we saw some really prominent feedback loops at different sections of the game where like yeah. one team's getting a few stops and then all of a sudden their offense looks great because they're getting more in transition and the other team's defense isn't quite set and that's you know a big part of why basketball is a game of runs and you you see that a lot in college for similar reasons but with these kind of two teams where they couldn't necessarily get a lot going in in the half court until the kings went to that more spread out system and, and everything else and so yeah it was a reminder of how effective that can be Do Wayne Dedman was exhumed in the first half, uh, had uh, two points on 0 of 2 shooting, plus three in his four minutes. Against one of his many former teams. Yeah, that's right. Uh, they, they actually were kind enough to not make him a qualifying offer so he could go to the Spurs uh, back in the day. King's bench, Bagley is coming off the bench. That helps a little bit, but Ariza, Corey Joseph, I mean, one shot attempt in 22 minutes for your backup point guard. I mean, he just is, both those guys are having miserable offensive seasons. What, what, and let it me was add, really. One, one rebound, or sorry, one shot attempt and one assist so it's not like he was orchestrating a bunch of stuff and there were there were some missed shots that he created but generally speaking it was it was not an impressive show yeah now he helps their defense but it has really been i mean he was a bad offensive point guard already and he's been beyond bad with uh, the kings all right, what's next here? I, I think partially because of some of the novelty stuff we should talk about New Orleans-Detroit. This was not a game that I followed intently, partially because of all of the absences. We talked about the walking wounded that the Pels are, and then that's well known for the Pistons too. And 
they even got less, let's call it, established because Christian Wood closed out the game instead of Andre Drummond. He Wood was on the floor for the run. But the, the crazy part about this, this was a stat that came out after the game via ESPN Stats and Info. New Orleans became the first team in the 2019-20 season to score more points in a five-minute overtime than they did in the entire 12-minute fourth quarter. Wow. And, and I mean, something that contributes to that is I don't think the Pelicans didn't score for like, was it the last four minutes of regulation? Uh, I think it was the last two and they had two points in the last okay, four Okay, that might be right. Yeah. yeah, and 13 total in that fourth quarter. They led comfortably really throughout uh, until then. First half was the Jalil Okafor show, 19 points on eight of 12. Uh, even had five assists in this game, three blocks, six offensive rebounds. He dominated Andre Drummond. There was a point late in the second quarter where they're just going Jaleel Okafor, ISO, face up, like put him in the mix, and he was scoring on Drummond. Drummond tried to go back at him. It did not work. Ended up only with 22 minutes for Drummond, and they went to Christian Wood, who actually ended up doing a much better job on Okafor. Okafor was only three out of nine in the second half and ended up not even playing a fair amount of the overtime. They ended up going to Jackson Hayes in the end, and Hayes actually contributed pretty well. Derek Rose kind of ran out of gas in this. He played, I would guess this is probably a season high, 37 minutes. He's been on this minutes limit, and Casey has been not starting him, but starting him in the second half. And But it, it was all him down the end. It was interesting. Antonio Daniels, the Pels play-by-play guy, was saying, hey, you got to force Rose left. And it, it did actually work pretty well for the Pels. Uh, but generally, in the years past, it's been force Rose to his right because he really likes to push off hard going to his left remember it was that left acl was the one that he tore initially i mean there was when he used to play for the bulls the warriors would always try and force him left or i'm sorry force him right and not let him go left that was the conclusion they came to so it just interesting to think about that their different teams are going to have different philosophies in this type of stuff even for you know james harden number one but for even someone like rose and I thought the Pistons did a good job at the end of the game. They got a nice two-for-one with Dwayne Casey taking a timeout with about 33 seconds left, and Rose was able to go right in for a floater, and that enabled them to get a chance to win it at the end as the Pels couldn't score the Pels. Their lineup at the end of regulation with all the guys out that we mentioned before, Lonzo Ball, who played 46 minutes in this game, was 17 points on 7-23 from the field. Etwan Moore, Josh Hart, Frank Jackson, and Okafor or, or Hayes at times. Etwan Moore got three straight play calls down the stretch and he rimmed out two floaters, unkind bounces, and then also missed a, an isolation jumper on the left. I mean, they don't really have a lot of isolation guys here with the, all these guys out. But then they went back to Nicola Melli in the overtime and that ended up being the smart move. Melli had a, a couple of jump shots, made some hustle plays, and the Pels ended up winning comfortably uh, 117-110 and Melly finished with uh, 20 points on 7 of 11. Yeah, it was surprising to see him play some some nice defense in, in those moments. It was more like grabbing rebounds, as you said, hustle plays. But he, he did a nice job. I was very impressed. Sigurd Deboya continues to look pretty good. To me, he had a nice drive along the baseline for a floater in clutch time. 16 points, 6 of 9 
you know, is he the smartest, most developed player right now? No, absolutely not. But continues to show some signs as an athlete, as a shooter. He's two of four from three. So I definitely think the Pistons uh, have found something there, especially considering this guy just turned 19. He's basically like one of the youngest guys ever drafted in the one and done era. Um, A a game that neither of us watched, but I think I want to just mention the performance in it. Uh, Oklahoma City ended up running running a little bit away with it. It was huge third quarter run. But Shea Gilgis-Alexander... 20 points, 20 rebounds, 10 assists, and plus 23 in 36 minutes. Just a huge performance. Yeah, and the Wolves are 6-12 and 12 at home. They've really struggled at home. They'd shown some signs of life with their defense of late, but a couple of blowout losses for them. Now they lost pretty badly to Houston over the weekend. There's still talk that this could be the game that Carl Anthony Towns well, would return, the, 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 but there he There wasn't a notable thing not. there. It sounded to me from the broadcast like the reason Towns wasn't playing was due to illness rather than okay. the the knee issue but i don't know that for sure that's like four different guys it's like oh they're ready to return oh no it's illness now i think these teams might just be lying about that to avoid any kind of impression of a of like a setback it's possible who knows uh and then lakers took care of cleveland uh, i mentioned that at least uh, darius garland looked pretty okay and he had he's been shooting like close to 50 percent in some of these games 16 points 7 of 13 I did think it was just this game was a giant warning sign to me for any team, any contender. Not that they needed one, uh, having watched Kevin Love for the last five years. That he just he's just so hard to fit around defensively because all right, he's not going to guard LeBron James, who's uh, the four. Anthony Davis is out here, so LeBron is starting at the four. He's not going to guard Kyle Kuzma. All right, so he's your center. Now you got to put Tristan Thompson on LeBron and lebron is blowing by tristan thompson at a number of times in the game and kevin love just doesn't even move he's already like boxing out his man to get the defensive rebound well there's not gonna be a defensive rebound if lebron james blows by tristan thompson for a layup and just so many times where he doesn't even move and you know this isn't a new problem this is the case going back to years ago with the Cavs when they were actually good and you know the Cavs actually led by 12 early in this game if there's ever a time for him to be motivated it would be against his old teammate lebron and they have a lead and you might actually get a little bit of a win here but uh no they got waxed in the second half got outscored 73 to 51 in the second half no it was worse than that yeah i misspoke uh 81 to 51 in the second half and uh slaker's offense is really running into form they've, they've been doing a lot of great stuff on the fast break and obviously cleveland does not provide a ton of resistance all right anything else to talk about before we go here? uh no i think that's about it we'll be we'll be back soon enough and people can keep an eye on the nba cast as well all right sounds good we will talk to y'all tomorrow night till then reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest but let me play devil's advocate here let's see so no that's a good thing uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem uh, reese's you did it you stumped this charming devil 